Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good evening. You know what? This looks like a great crowd. I know we've got the youth group in here tonight. It looks like a great crowd anyway for Wednesday night. So thanks for being here. Good to see you. Uh, I will uh, add nothing to Mike's announcement except for the trivia night. I'm signed up, but if you want to sign up for second place, uh, I really would encourage you. Yeah, I'm good at trivia, man. So, no, I would. Uh, it's going to be a fun night. So come if you can. I'm preaching tonight. Uh, this is uh, this is kind of a rare thing. I, w- I mentioned. I don't know, last week, week before, or, or uh, Sunday maybe, that I was, uh, I had been encouraged. We, we had a men's meeting not long ago, and uh, a couple people recommended to me that I really needed to preach this to the whole church, and uh, since then, I've been encouraged to do it again, so I'm doing it. You know what, I think, uh, uh, I, it's not like I didn't pray about it, it's like, okay, I'll do it. Um, but I say that because if you were here for the men's meeting when I preached about laying aside childish things, men, you can go ahead and go to sleep. I'll wake you up in uh, 25 minutes or so, okay? No, don't do that. Uh, if I've learned one thing in the years I've been a believer, I have learned that you can hear the same sermon two days in a row and hear something completely different the second time. Uh, so hang in there and pay attention. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I know we have the scriptures up there. Let me say again, I don't say this all the time. I try to say it often. I probably don't say it often enough. Please get in the habit of bringing your Bibles to church and actually turning to these pages. All right? I've made jokes before about the zombie apocalypse and everything else and when the grid's down and you can't turn to it in your your uh, app and everything, but there is really no substitute for knowing your way around the Bible. And it's not that hard. We had the kids up here not too long ago, the young children in our church singing the books of the Bible. And it was cute, and it was, uh, it was, it was a blessing and everything, but there was really something uh, to be said for knowing. Hey, if I, turn, if I tell you to turn your, turn your Bibles to a certain book, you know about where it is. Even if you don't know exactly the order, you know, if I tell you to, hey, everybody, right, in fact, right now, everybody turn to Hezekiah chapter 2. Yeah, Hezekiah chapter 2. Quickly, quickly. There is no Hezekiah. Thank you. You're right. All right. Okay. So that, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. First Corinthians. There is a First Corinthians and a Second Corinthians, but turn to First Corinthians chapter 13. <laughs> did, didn't it? What did I say, 1 Corinthians 13? Yes. And I am in chapter 11, so let me get there. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, says this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man... I put away childish things. 
Now, uh, there's actually a great sweet comfort. Uh, it's not sweet comfort, or is it allies? Lisa, somebody uh, who's fond of the 80s CCM or 90s CCM. Who was that? Lay down, lay down, childish things. Who sang that? It was, it was Brian Duncan, but I don't remember if it was part of uh, Sweet Comfort or Allies. Anyway, it's a great uh, idea, laying down childish things. But if you take this verse by itself, I mean, that's a cool thing. But look at where it's at. It's in, in the, it's in the middle of what? The love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is this, love is that. But then look at where 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is. It's in the middle of 12 and 14, which is in the middle of Paul's discourse on the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about it's one Spirit that gives the gifts. Tongues, interpretation, discerning of spirits, prophecy, healing, miracles, etc. And then moves into this. If I have all these gifts, if I can do all these things, but I don't have love, it's worthless. And he's talking about this. And then he says this. And then in, the middle, and, and then in chapter 14, he moves back into talking about the value of tongues. And, if you t- and, and you remember that the Bible wasn't written in chapters. It was divided into chapters later. What is Paul talking about here? Now, there's a whole... I've, I've preached a sermon before about how 1 Corinthians 13 fits in to 12 and 14. But I want to look at this verse here. In the middle of everything else he's talking about, he says this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever gone to your parents and literally said something like, I didn't understand why you did that or made me do this, but I'm glad you did. If you didn't say it, have you ever thought it? Have you ever thought about things your parents told you to do, made you do, said to you, that you didn't understand, they didn't make sense at the time, And then later, you look back and thought, now I understand it. Can I see a show of hands? Wow. Interestingly, zero hands from the youth group. They will. Okay, sorry. All right, all right. All right, we got one here. Yeah, a couple, a couple. All right. Praise the Lord. There are things that we know now. We recognize that our parents understood a little bit better than we did. Right? And it's the same way when we read the Bible. Well, this doesn't make sense at first, but God knows better than we do. And I'll, I'll share this example again. Uh, there's this great movie. I mean, it's powerful. It's, it's, it really imparts some truth. It's a movie that many of you have maybe seen if you're really spiritual. It's called The Karate Kid, where uh, Mr. Miyagi is training Daniel-san. Daniel-san has, 
has uh, submitted himself to the training of Mr. Miyagi, and Mr. Miyagi tells him to do these things. And what's the first thing you think of? My mom's up here. Wax on, wax off. But it's not just wax on, wax off. It's also, uh, what, what is it on the deck? Sand the deck. Paint the fence. Paint the house. And after, uh, I would show the clip, except there are swear words in the clip, so I'm not going to show it to you. Uh, prove his swear words. But there's this scene where Mr. Miyagi comes back late at night and Daniel-san is, is finishing up painting the house. And he says, uh, you in training? He says, I'm not in training, I'm being your slave. I'm eliminating the swear words right there. And uh, he says, you're supposed to be teaching me karate. And then Mr. Miyagi says, all right, show me. Paint the house. Show me sand the deck. Show me wax the car. Show me wax on, wax off. So, he's, so he makes him go through these motions. And, and to everybody's amazement, who's watching this movie, he realizes he has learned karate by waxing and sanding and painting and painting. He didn't understand while he was being taught. But afterwards, he realized he had learned karate. Now, I share with you as I shared with the men the other night. I have it on good authority that that is not how you learn karate. All right? No matter how many decks you sand and how many cars you wax, you will not be a karate expert at the end of that. But there's a great, there's a great lesson there. You submit to the master, even if you don't understand. You submit to those in authority, and you will learn things that you didn't know before. But the submission comes first. Now, Paul says, I thought or reasoned as a child. And those of you who have been children, how many of you have been children? (laughs) I can't believe everybody didn't raise their hand. How many of you have been children? All right, how many of you have children or have had children? All right, okay. Okay. How many of you are children? (laughs) We're all children of God. Uh, The the reasoning kind of goes like this, or has gone. I'm not going to say it goes like this now, but I will say it has gone in times past. When we'll say, I need you guys, Riley and Rainey, in our case, I need you to pick up the house. I need you to pick up the living room. And the first response is, well, I'll pick up my stuff. I'm not going to pick up stuff that I didn't mess up because this is not my mess. And that's good reasoning from a childish standpoint, isn't it? I mean, there's logic there, right? Why would I pick up stuff that's not mine? And then it goes a little bit further and it gets a little less logical in our minds But why should I have to do this chore, this schoolwork, or something else when I don't want to? This is not important to me. And and, and I'm not trying to be, I'm not, well, I'm being facetious a little bit, but but I don't want to be too facetious. Try to to remember what it's like as a child. What am I going to do with this knowledge? 
Do I really know? Do I really have to know how to do this? Do I really need to know the capitals of all these European countries? <laughs> Seriously, what am I going to do with this knowledge? Trivia, Trivia night. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> But really the whole, this is not something I want to do. And then the, uh, the adult reasoning goes like this. When it, especially when it comes to, this is not my mess. I didn't do this. This has nothing to do with me. And you, uh, every, every adult in here can, uh, can uh, agree with this. Especially every parent, but certainly every, uh, but even every adult. You know, when I pay the power bill in my house, I'm not just paying that to keep me cool or warm. When I do the grocery shopping, I'm not just buying groceries to feed me. You live in my house. When I mow the lawn, I don't just mow the grass that I walk on. This is a family effort. This is our place. And I do what I do for us. And I'm asking you to do this stuff. No, let me back up. I'm telling you to do this stuff for us. Now, every adult, again, especially every parent, can relate to that, right? It all, it all makes sense. And yet we understand at the same time how children think. Part of it is the inherent, it's the sin nature. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Part of it is simply childish logic. I've heard my children say, I will not say how recently, but I have heard my children say at certain times, and they say it with utter exasperation. Why don't you understand that I don't want to do this? <laughs> Have you heard this in your house? And they mean it. They're sincere. So this is the lesson that I've tried to hammer into them with limited success. And I believe it's getting better and better. That the vast majority of the population gets up every day to go and do a job that they don't love. Why do they do it? They do it for money. Why do they do it for money? So they can pay bills. So they can buy the things they want. And so they can do the things they want to do. There's this very, I think I mentioned this, I can't remember in what context, but I think I mentioned it fairly recently. There's this, uh, it shows up on the internet a lot, uh, this idea that you should only do something, you should find a career that you enjoy. Uh, there's a quote, actually, that has been attributed to Confucius and to Mark Twain. I can see how people mix those guys up. But it says this, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. That's true. But my response is this. And my response is from Ira Gershwin. Nice work if you can get it. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, my favorite musician, Dan Fogelberg. I read, an, I read an interview with him back in the 80s, and, and he was, I, and th something that impressed me about this interview was he said, I recognize 
that I am able to do what I love for a living. I would do this no matter what I had to do for a living, but I am, I am privileged to be able to make a living doing what I love. That's a pretty centered attitude. But you know what? Most of us can't. Guess what? I can't. <laughs> I love doing what I do. I love my job. But the problem with that quote, you know, find something you love, you know, do something, you know, uh, choose a career, choose something that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. It sort of denigrates the dignity of work. There is something that is noble about doing something that you don't love, even doing something that you hate as an expression of responsibility, as an expression of love for your family. And I'm thinking right now particularly of, uh, of my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad, who uh, worked at a job that he hated. It cost him several fingers. It cost him his hearing. He couldn't wait to get home every night. But he did it for 35 years, 36 years maybe, because he loved his family and this was the best paying job he could find. I'm also thinking of a, a clip that I saw from a TV show that I won't name where an ad executive is having an argument with his, assistant, with his assistant, and his assistant was coming in complaining that she had offered him an idea. He had just won an award for writing a commercial. That, and and uh, so he's riding high, and she said, this was my idea. He said, it was just an idea. I turned it into a commercial. It was my commercial, not yours. He said, but she said, that was my idea. And he says, this is how this works. This is what I pay you for. You give me ideas, and I give you money. And she says, but you never even say thank you. And he says, that's what the money's for. (laughs) And I love that line, because this is really what defines the workplace, isn't it? It's not about finding something we love. It's about what are we willing to do for money. Now, we should never violate our principles for money, violate our beliefs. But the fact is, people pay us to do things that they don't want to do. All right? Yeah, get a little bit off track. That's how children think. Why should I have to do something I don't want to do? And we as adults can see clearly the answer. And so we start about thinking as a child and understanding as a child. What's the difference? To understand as a child. When I was a child, uh, and this is kind of a, this is a little bit to bridge the gap, thinking and understanding. Uh, my son Riley, when he was a child. <laughs> I can remember when he was uh, little enough to sit on my lap and uh, we would sit, we'd sit in front of the computer, computer, and I was showing him how it worked. You type in a question, you type in a subject you want to learn about. And, uh, you know, Google search. And he says, uh, Daddy, type in giant squid. So I type in, because we had been watching a Discovery Channel thing about the giant squid, and, man, it captured his imagination. So he's sitting on my lap. Can Type in giant squid. So I type in giant squid. And we, and we look at article. We look at pictures. And then he learns. Guess what? There's something bigger than the giant squid. A, anybody know? Colossal squid. So type in colossal squid. So we type in colossal squid. And we learn all about these squids. And now, 
And now we're, he's old enough to walk with me and talk with me. We moved to Farmer City. And I can remember these, uh, almost every night we'd go for some kind of walk. We'd walk by the creek in our backyard or we'd walk down the streets. And my, fr- frankly, my fondest memories are about to be repeated tomorrow because we've got this long day of snow tomorrow. Amen? Amen? Yeah, it's supposed to snow. Yes. <laughs> I'm seeing some thumbs down. What's the matter with you guys? All right. All right. Anyway, we take for these walks in the snow. And, uh, and this is a complete side journey. I can remember uh, Rainey and Riley both would love to walk in the snow. Beth was curiously absent from most of those walks. But <laughs> we'd walk for uh, an hour. And by the time we got back, I'm carrying Riley's coat, his gloves, his hat, and usually his shirt. And uh, he's just a hot-blooded kid. Anyway, many times when Riley and I were walking by ourselves, he would, and I'm looking, father and son talks. Let's talk about the world. Let's talk about uh, God. Let's talk about anything. And he's like, I was like, Riley, what do you want to talk about? What's in your mind? Daddy, what if a giant squid landed on our house? Uh, well, I guess it would depend on how far it fell. Or how big the squid was. Daddy, what if a giant squid landed on our car? Well, same thing. I guess it kind of depends on how much it weighed, how far it fell. Okay, all right. What else do you want to talk about? What if a giant squid landed right in the sidewalk, right in front of us? (laughs) A bit of a one-track mind. All right. So he's thinking. He really is. His mind is active. But he's focused on one thing. And I'm trying trying to be patient because I want to take him seriously. He's not stupid. He never has been. But he's thinking as a child at that time. And then when he turned 15, he started thinking about it. No, I'm kidding. This was, this was back when he was five, six years old. Now, I'll tell a story on me. I can remember understanding certain things. And uh, as a result of having watched a lot of informative and educational television, like, uh, like Bewitched <laughs> and the Flintstones, I understood magic. Bewitched, do you understand? You remember the... And you remember Flintstones. What's Flintstones have to do with magic? The Great Gazoo. How many of you remember the Great Gazoo? Yeah, he was this alien who could just snap his... Harvey Corman was the voice, and he could snap his fingers and make anything happen. This was magic. And you add to that uh, Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, these other things. I understood the concept of just, if you could think it, snap your fingers, ask for it, magic could make it happen. And my mother is trying to explain to me the concept of uh, uh, omnipotence. She didn't use the word, and I wouldn't have understood what it meant. But she was explaining to me that God can do anything. And I can't remember, I don't, couldn't tell you how old I was, eight or nine years old. I should, you know, maybe everybody who knows anything about God should know that. Maybe I should have known that. But it crossed my mind, oh, God can do anything. And I don't know what I said to make her stress that to me. You know, God can do anything. And so, I make the logical leap. Oh, so God is magic. Obviously. And mom is like, no, he's not magic. But you see how my, my, I was locked into a childlike imagination, a childlike understanding. 
I knew nothing. And frankly, my mom at that time didn't know much about what the word of faith was. She understood, she understood the, the concept of omnipotence better than I did, but neither one of us was, was, was uh, into the word of faith at that time. But we have a certain way of thinking. That's a childlike way of thinking. If magic can do anything and God can do anything, therefore God is magic. What does it mean to speak as a child? We've talked about thinking as a child, understanding as a child, speaking as a child. Part of it is just wrong grammar, of course. You know, when a child would say, well, I run really fast. We know that's not right, but we know what they mean. But it's certain things that, that they lack in terms of uh, propriety, uh, being impolite. I, I'll tell a story on uh, my little sisters. Uh, Lisa and Lori, when they were three or four years old, I don't know. Uh, the IGA store here in town. Many of you maybe remember when the IGA wasn't the huge store that it is now. <laughs> Anybody remember the old IGA? Yeah, it was, uh, it was the store, and it wasn't much bigger than what a convenience store is today. Uh, and and uh, I can remember going there as a little kid, long before I worked there. I worked in that store when it was little, but long before that. But anyway, my mom was there with my little sisters when they were really little. And, uh, like three? Okay. And there was, uh, and I don't remember how many aisles there were in this store. Four or five aisles in the whole store. You, you couldn't, it's not like you could hide in this store, all right? But they were, here's mom pushing the cart of groceries, and here's Lisa and Lori. And Lori saw a customer, a female customer who was, uh, obese and she was amazed and she hollered and said hey Lisa come and look at this fat lady (laughs) of course mom's mortified and it's not like oh I'll just go over here to sporting goods or anything like that you got five aisles in the whole store right this is speaking as a child they saw nothing wrong with that. I was watching uh, just a, a week or so ago, I was watching To Kill a Mockingbird. I love that movie. I love the book. You know, uh, as I mentioned to the guys the other night, there are uh, very few movies that rise to the level of the book. You know, there's, there's a couple movies that I really like, uh, but I wonder if I really would have liked them if I read the book first, because I really like the books too. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, I actually read the book first, and then I saw the movie, and I like them both. So that speaks a lot for the movie. But there's a scene in the book and the movie where uh, this real, I mean, it's, 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 this is during the Depression, and, and uh, this, this uh, kid, Cunningham, comes home to have lunch with uh, Scout and Jem, and they're, they're, he's too poor. He was too poor to bring his lunch. He was too poor to buy a lunch. He wouldn't take, he wouldn't take money from the teacher. So scout invites him home and they're sitting there around and they're, they're having meat and potatoes, whatever. And, and this kid, Walter Cunningham says, uh, do you have any syrup? And, um, Atticus Finch says, well, of course, hey, uh, Calpurnia, bring the syrup out here. Like this is the most normal thing in the world. And Walter pours syrup all over his food. And, Scout, the six-year-old girl, says, what are you doing? And 
he just kind of stops. He says, and, 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 and Atticus says, scout. He says, well, he ruined his food. He poured syrup all over it. And this kid is ashamed. He didn't realize that he had broken some sort of rule. And everybody else at the table realized this is something you just ignore. This is something he does. And so Scout gets pulled out of the dining room and into the kitchen. And Calpurnia chews him out and says, he's your guest. He chews Scout out and says, uh, he's your guest. If he wants to eat up the tablecloth, you let him. And you don't say anything. But kids say whatever pops into their mind. They speak as children, right? There is an adult way of speaking. You don't see a lot of presidents or preachers or judges or doctors or Fortune 500 executives saying, uh, yo, 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 don't at me. Right? Slang, street talk, uh, coarse speech, vocalized internet shorthand. I mean, I've heard people say out loud, LOL. There's nothing sinful about those, but they're childish, and they have no real place in the discourse of respected adults. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when I became a man, I put those things away. He didn't say, when I became a Christian, I put evil things away. He said, when I became a man, I put childish things away. But then he goes on to say this. This is, this is where we get spiritual, okay? That what he's saying is we recognize as adults that there is a gulf between where we are now and where we were then. Here I am telling funny stories about when Riley was five. Riley's old enough to recognize how funny that was, right? Rainy? Want me to tell some stories about you? Or will you nod and say Amen. What? Amen? All right. We recognize, we look back at how we thought, we remember. Here I'm telling stories about my kids. We tell stories about other kids. You can remember, can't you, about how you thought about certain things? I just told you a story about me, how I thought trying to equate magic with God because I only had a certain frame of reference. We thought as children. But then when we reach a certain maturity, a certain understanding, we put those things away. It's important to recognize that we don't look back and say, wow, was I stupid. Because we don't. We look back and say, I was childish. I was a child. I didn't understand certain things. And Paul is saying, when, you know, when I was a child, I thought as a child. He didn't say when I was a child, I was stupid. When I was a child, I was ungodly. When I was a child, I was, an e- I w- I was evil. When I was a child, I thought like a child. But there came a time when I had to put that way of thinking, that way of understanding, and that way of speaking away. But then he says this. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 12. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. Let me back up here. Let's back up to uh, verse 8. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. 
But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. Uh, just as I also am known. There is a gulf between how we thought and understood and spoke as a child and where we are now. There is likewise a gulf between where we are now and where we will be then. When that which is perfect has come. And do you know what? The gifts are the spirit. The gifts of the spirit are here for the meantime. Tongues, interpretation, prophecy, healing, all of it are here for now. There are things we can legitimately wonder about. I've talked about this before. Healing. Next to salvation itself, the doctrine of healing is the nearest and dearest to my heart. I believe in prosperity. I believe in protection. I believe in all these other blessings of God that are part of the atonement. But healing is the thing that I see Jesus most involved in. And yet at the same time, we look around and say, well, why is it taking so long? Why did so-and-so not get healed? And I don't know. I don't know why some people don't receive the manifestation of their healing. I don't know. And I look at this verse and say, I see now as through a glass darkly. It's a dim reflection. I don't see as clearly as I'm going to see one day. Now what can I do? I look at this. I look at the scriptures and I'm convinced of what they mean. And I don't see it happening as often as I want to see it. So I could say, well, you know what? I could be wrong about healing. Let's just abandon, let's just abandon the healing doctrine. Let's abandon the healing uh, teaching. What if I abandon my belief that healing is part of the atonement? Where do I land then? Now I'm wondering about how much does God love me if he allows me to go through this? How much does he love us if he allows us to go through this? What is the purpose in all this? I mean, it's one thing when you're not sick and you're not experiencing the pain to say, Oh, well, see, God can be glorified through all this. But we're in the middle of it. Sorry. It just doesn't seem worth it. The bottom line is that if I abandon the belief that God heals and God wants me healed, it doesn't get me anywhere. It doesn't get me any closer to solving the things that I don't understand. Jesus, you know, had an interesting conversation with the Sadducees. You remember this? They, 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 uh, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, which is why they were sad, you see. Uh, and, and so they tried to trap him, and they came and they said, uh, Hey, Jesus, uh, there's this woman. She was married, and her, and her husband died, so she, she married another guy, and he died. She married another guy, and he died. She married another guy, and he died. All, all together, there were five. And then finally, she died. We just have a question. We're just being sincere here. Whose wife is she going to be in heaven? When we're all risen from the dead, who's she going to be married to? Because they really thought, they really thought Jesus was going to go, I never thought of that. I'm stuck here. If I believe in the resurrection, I have to pick one of these guys. And Jesus just turned to him and said, you don't even understand the resurrection. You're thinking in human terms. 
in the resurrection, they are neither married nor given in marriage. They're like the angels. Sadducees were put in their place at that moment. What do we do with that information? Because now we're thinking of, if we're, if we're reading this honestly, we look at this and we think, well, what if my wife has died? What if my husband has died? What if my child has died? When I meet them, are they going to be my child? Are they going to be my wife? Are they going to be my husband? Because this is the only way we know them. I think about my grandfather. I lived with my, with my dad's dad for four years. Pappy. Many of you, a handful of you remember him. Great man. I miss him. Oh, wow, do I miss him. Sometime I'll try to work a sermon just around the stories he told me. When I see him in heaven, and anybody ever do this? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not preaching this. I'm just confessing it. Has anybody ever done this whole thing when you're praying, you say, and, and you're thinking of somebody that's gone before you, God, would you please say hello to so-and-so for me? Has anybody ever done that besides me? Nobody but me? Okay. I don't know. It's, I will not pray to the dead. I will not say, oh, dear Pappy, look over me. That's, that's, a, that's heresy. But if I believe that he's there and awake, like I preached Sunday, and I believe that God hears my prayers, I don't know if there's anything wrong with me saying, Lord, tell my grandpa I'm thinking of him. But when I see him, I do know this. He's not going to look like the man I saw at age 79, which is when he died. But is he going to be my grandpa? Am I going to call him Pappy? Am I going to call him Shanghai? Am I going to call him Glenn? Book of Revelation tells us, guess what? We all get new names. Now, it's tough for me to think of my wife and my children being in heaven and not being my wife and my children. I can't get my head around that. Why? Because I'm thinking as a child. My children could not conceive when they were five or six years old. They could not conceive of some simple arguments that they understand right now. There was a gulf between where they were at five, their ability to understand. I'm not talking about their sin, sinfulness or anything else. I'm talking about their ability. It's just the way a child thinks and the way a 16-year-old thinks or a 20-year-old thinks. There is likewise a huge gulf between the way you and I think and the way we will think then. When we are in the presence of God, things will become clear, and we will look and we'll think, I never understood this. There's a gap. Now, again, we won't look back. I don't think, if we look back at all, and sometimes I wonder about that, will we, will we even be inclined to look back on our lives and go, oh, how stupid I was, how, how silly this was, how wrong I was. But if we look back, I think what we'll think is, not that I was stupid, but that I was a child. What else could I think? I was in the dark. Now I'm in, it, I could only see through a, through a, a glass darkly. Everything's clear now. Everything makes much more sense. So meanwhile, what do we do? Men, women, we put away childish ways of thinking, understanding, and speaking. What do we do right now? We embrace the gifts of the Spirit because they are for right now. 
One day we won't need prophecy. We won't need tongues. We won't need words of knowledge, words of wisdom, any of that stuff. But right now we do. uh, Praise and worship team, you can come on up. Parents, we need to train our children, guiding them toward this transition where one day they will also lay down childish things. Young people, this is the moment I wanted you in here for tonight. I want you to enjoy your childhood, but I don't want you to extend your adolescence. As you begin to understand, I want you to embrace manhood, womanhood, adulthood. I want you to start thinking reasoning, speaking, and acting like men and women of God. You do not get a pass until you're 18. I told Rainy this this morning. I was driving her to work, and I said, Rainy, the things that you hear me preach on Sunday morning, these are not for when you are 20 or when you are grown up. They are for right now. I don't know where, but, and I know it's never been taught, but I think there's almost this uh, built-in false understanding that, well, as long as you're a kid, it really doesn't matter. If you're old enough to recognize truth, you're old enough to respond to the truth. And once you have responded to the truth, you have a responsibility to walk that out. I want everybody to stand up right now. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.